film and television. Merely entertainment, right? No. There's so much more to film and television that changes our perspectives. And as a result, we can have different, either realistic expectations or non-realistic expectations about what life is really like. Whether it be horror that helps us develop a habit of turning every light on in the house or a comedy that helps us relieve tension in the saddest times of our life. I want to go in the Wayback Machine and find out exactly what movie helped shape you. I'm Oma Shadi, and welcome to the Between the Bannisters podcast. All right, folks. So thank you so much for uh, coming back to Between the Bannisters. Happy New Year. Um, I'm really excited about this guest and this movie because uh, I was just saying this is probably in a small handful of horror movies that we've done as a horror screenwriter. I'm always very excited um, when folks want to talk horror and especially movies that I'm totally grooving on. So we're going to be speaking with Kevin Dooley today. And I want to tell you a little bit about Kevin because he has a really really cool past and a lot of things to draw on as a screenwriter. And if you get to read his work, you will definitely be able to understand what I'm talking about. So as a child, Kevin moved every six to 12 months, bouncing from coast to coast. While struggling to attain lower middle class and following the work, his parents moved from Virginia to Phoenix to Atlanta to Kansas City and several points in between. He graduated high school at 16 and left for college on the East Coast. Kevin dropped out of college after three semesters and spent some time being young and stupid. After a couple of years, he met the woman who would soon become his wife and lifetime partner. They moved to Chicago so he could attend the film program at Columbia College. And after graduation, he began working in television and commercial production, working up from production assistant into the art department. After a couple of years, he accepted a position as an in-house filmmaker for an NGO. And over the decade, he would travel the world capturing stories for several non-for-profits, of how they were working to change the world for the better. In addition to being a husband and father of two, these days Kevin is a corporate copywriter who's written marketing and ad copy for global tech brands like Indeed and Rackspace, as well as startups and nonprofits. He also writes genre TV and is a multi-time participant in online writers labs through Sundance. Kevin, say hello to the folks. Hey everyone, how's it going? <laughs> I couldn't skimp on that. I was just, I was riveted. <laughs> it, it, it it seems long and messy to me, but yeah, it, I mean, it hits a lot of key points in my life, I suppose. <laughs> I think it's great. So tell us what we're talking. I'm so excited. Tell us what we're talking about today. Oh, we are talking about the movie that uh, as a child uh, caused me to fall in love with blending genres. And that's Evil Dead 2. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited about this because yeah, I just have a strong passion for the series movies and and Kevin and I have have definitely chatted about our our quest to work one day eventually with Sam Raimi absolutely um, and I just love the way he he's just not afraid to push things and especially in such a, a genre when you look at the first Evil Dead um, it's very quirky and the second one is also very quirky and mm -hmm. there's a lot going on visually and a lot of cool choices that were made that when you look at it you're just like holy shit that's weird but it's also really, really exceptionally valuable to the story. The, the first one is very, uh, as, as you said, quirky, but it's also like a legit scary horror film. But oh, it's yeah. almost like no one bothered to tell Raimi or Campbell or, or any of their other collaborators that there were rules to filmmaking and they just did what they wanted. Yeah. And then in the second <laughs> one, they're like, what if we did that again, but made it funny? 
And again, no one told them the rules, so they just did what they wanted. And damn, if it doesn't work. Yeah. And it's it's so funny because it's like you look at something that is such a cult classic. And I feel like, especially in horror and early horror, at least early in our childhood, sure. um, horror, the budgetary constraints literally levitated the entire story. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, the Their limitations forced them to become creative. And I mean, they had such great collaborators working on their effects and their miniatures and all that. Um, so they had the right people all young in their career and they were hungry and they had to get creative and man, it just, it produces one hell of a film. It does. So tell me why you loved it. Why, why this movie above all others? Okay. So, um, to tell that story, I, I just need to give a brief little bit of context. The first, I would say horror film that I watched, um, was Jaws. Um, my parents got really tired of me having an Atari in the living room. And so they gave mm -hmm. me a TV, uh, in my room, a uh, very small little thing, um, to hook the Atari up to, but the house we were renting had cable run and we were <clears throat> stealing cable from our neighbors. Um, Who did and, it? <laughs> and so my dad just hooked it up thinking, uh, you know, he'll behave. It's fine. So there I was seven, eight years old with HBO. Uh, yes. And while there were other things I could have watched and maybe had a sexual awakening earlier than uh, I ended up having one. Uh, <laughs> instead, I gravitated towards watching horror films at night um, and the first kind of horror-ish thing I watched uh, which looking back now I don't find terrifying but at the time I did uh, was Jaws and I literally for a year could not swim in a pool could not take a bath I was just horrified um, and so at that point I didn't know I liked horror I just know that it did something to me scared the shit out of me uh, <laughs> but then a, a year or so later I came across Evil Dead 2 and yes, to an eight-year-old, it was horrifying, but it was also hilarious. And there was just something that clicked in my brain at that moment that you can do more than one thing at a time. Yeah. Um, and so you can have this film that's got all this gore and all these great effects and legit scary moments, but also have this total buffoon of a main character who <laughs> literally loses his mind in the first few minutes. And the whole movie could almost be his fever dream, right? Um, right. And so that just really... Um, you know, as a very young kid who was kind of interested in telling stories and uh, that sort of thing, it really just made something work in my brain of, hey, you can do more than one thing and you can tell really, really awesome stories that way. And I've been a fan of Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell both ever since. Um, yeah. If you tell me they, they spent five minutes working on something, I'll watch it just to see what influence they had. <laughs> and I would, I would so what did you like between the first and the second because you, you know we've explained that it's it's you know it's not necessarily a complete reboot of the first but there's a lot of that's pulled from the first one so it's not necessarily a sequel as to a, maybe a retelling but yeah, it, with cooler things yeah when i was younger i saw it as a retelling um with a better budget and i was okay with that um i actually didn't see the first evil dead until probably early teens um and was finally able to like go hunt up a VHS of it and watch it and that sort of thing. Uh, and I absolutely adore that movie. Um, and so, yeah, at that age, I kind of thought of it, oh, they just kind of retold it with a bigger budget. Um, but since then, um, I've actually compiled a super cut of the first three movies. And uh, <laughs> I can tell you, uh, the first nine minutes and 20 seconds is a retelling of the first movie. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then the rest of it is intended to be the sequel because that's actually mm-hmm. the cutoff in my supercut of the three movies together. Um, yeah. But they also talk about that. I've, I've heard Bruce Campbell talk about that live. Uh, basically, they didn't have the rights to show footage from the first movie. And so they wanted to do a short recap. And then because they ended up having to recast everyone and because they had um, kind of a different tone for this one, they just said, let's just kind of make it a little longer and just retell the first story uh, in a way that sets up tonally the sequel that we that they were making. So yeah. um, that's kind of where you you wind up with a nice little almost 10 minute recap, uh, get a new Linda, a few less people in the cabin. Um, but yeah, um, it definitely Bruce Campbell's performance in that recap just totally sets up what you're in for in the sequel. So I just think, it, you know, what it reminds me of is like the early 80s sitcoms that were like the two episode ones where it's like on the last episode of the yeah exactly previously (laughs) on the evil dead (laughs) that's like a very special evil dead right Um, (laughs) you know linda will be played by um (laughs) watching that at a young age and watching it now is there anything that you notice or is there anything where you're just like wow i can't believe how much i absorbed of this movie at that young age? What surprises you in that difference? Yeah, I, I mean, I think as as a kid, what really connected with me was, you know, the Three Stooges physical comedy of it all. And I didn't really pause at any moment to realize why any of that was happening. Um, and then like, I, I just rewatched it this week, you know, prepping for today. And it really struck me uh, just how little grasp on his sanity ash has through this entire movie yeah (laughs) like that's the horrifying part of it is that he is legitimately due to lots and lots of trauma and seeing either just his girlfriend or a small group of his friends die uh, Mm -hmm. and repeated head injuries he's just losing his mind um and that is truly as 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 an adult now and someone who tries to think for a living. That's horrifying. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't, I don't, I don't want to lose my ability to think. I don't want to lose my sanity. Um, yeah. So totally different experience, right. As a kid and as an adult, it's fun. It's zany. There's lots of gore. And then as an adult, I'm like, Oh God, that's terrible. That's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Especially like the spinning scene where he's like oh, yeah. spinning forever. <laughs> right. And as you're a kid, you're just like, we like, that's right. freaking cool. And as an adult, you're just like, Holy shit. I would just be sick. Just 100%. 100%. So how do you feel that this movie shaped you? Because I, that's kind of what my premise with Between the Bannisters is, is not necessarily having to be an old movie or something that you saw sure. at a formative age, but how do you feel that it shaped you as an individual or even you as a screenwriter? Yeah. Um, I, its influence on me as a screenwriter is um, actually very frustrating at times. I have set out to write straight horror more than once. And halfway through the outline, I realize I've got way more humor gags than I do horror gags. <laughs> and so I, I'm almost <laughs> I'm almost it? completely incapable of writing straight horror at this point, mostly because of this movie's influence on me. Um, and then I have to go back and like work to, okay, here's where I can build tension. Here's where I can have a scare. Here's where I can actually build in something horrifying. But it's just like, I start with a creepy idea. And as I start to develop it, I'm like, oh, and this would be really funny here. And this would be funny. It's like, why am I writing funny bits? I was writing (laughs) creepy. So, um, you know, and, and, and like I said, it really helped me realize you can do more than one thing. And so even when I'm not trying to do horror or trying to do something humorous, um, I'm always thinking, okay, what's the other 
subtext that I can put in here? What's the, and, 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 you know, the nice thing is some of it is um, how I put what I think something important in my work. I like to joke that I write junk food with a purpose. And so my writing is all <laughs> genre stuff and it's, you know, usually quirky and fun, but I'm always trying to say something else in there. And, and Evil Dead really helped me realize you can have all the fun junky stuff and still have something to say. So yeah, it's kind of twofold. I guess it's influence. I, I, I love the mix of genres too because it's really hard and that's why I say like if you get a chance to read like Kevin's work it's very it's just highly fun and highly inten- intelligent and very engrossing Thank you. because it's difficult to do I feel that it is difficult to do comedy and horror well agreed because there's a lot of and and as as movie hounds, we've both seen our share of people that have done it really, really well, and they've done it really, really poorly. 100%. And and even the poorly ones, you know, end up being like poorly made comedy horror volume fourteen, and it, it just keeps <laughs> going, and the chances yep. keep being given. But what do you think made this such a good blend of genres? Uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I think part of it goes back to Sam Raimi was either not told or just ignored all the rules and just made the movie he wanted to. Um, but he has a good sense of like how to build tension and, and how to build fear in the audience. And then when you're given that choice of I can end this the way that they're expecting, I can end it the less expected, but kind of normal way. Or I could just have Bruce Campbell do something completely off the wall and you know, uh, improvise cutting off his own hand and, you know, fighting his own hand and then cutting it off. Uh, let's go with the third option. Right. Um, it, it's just, he's always got this sense of not even let's give them the most unexpected. Let's just give them something absurd as the solution to, you know, uh, what we've been building. Um, and, and I just think somehow he makes it work. And, you know, I've, again, it's, it's definitely Bruce Campbell's performance that sells everything when he's on screen but it's everyone else that was working with them that kind of understood this is what we're going for there's so many iconic scenes in both the first one and the second one but i feel like there's there's so much more build up and and more subterfuge that ash has to go through during the second but Mm -hmm. what do you feel are some of the most iconic scenes from the movie well, I mean, you can't talk about iconic scenes in Evil Dead 2 without acknowledging the Rambo-esque build of his tool set towards the end, you know, <laughs> a- attaching the chainsaw to the stump of his arm and shortening the, the shotgun and then ending with that glorious close-up and that beautiful chin and groovy. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's one of the most iconic things. And it's so much so that it's become, you know, probably the bane of Bruce Campbell's existence because everyone wants him to say it whenever he's at a right (laughs) you know whatever but uh yeah i mean there's that there's uh goodness there's the scene with the the wonky anamorphic adapter uh and the deer head and the the laughing lamp just that scene that really cements oh this man's lost his shit i I think that's just glorious um obviously this the fight with the hand in the kitchen and then ending with cutting it off there's just yeah it's it would be really hard to say there's one iconic scene there's just so much going on here I, I do love that they revisited the tree bit without making it quite so icky. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and so Bobby Joe's death is at least just a death this time. So right. Um, yeah, that was that was always kind of like well, I don't really feel about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the first one, it's like wow, they went for it on this one. Uh, yeah. It's like well, that could have stopped two minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
and to your point, like he probably is absolutely sick and tired of being like, oh my God, I don't want to do Groovy anymore. It's like watching, you know, old videos of Chadwick Boseman having to do like the Black Panther salute mm. and just like the look on his face is like, for fuck's sake. Um, but what do you feel is your favorite scene? Outside of being iconic, is there something where you're just like, this isn't talked about enough or this is where I feel was a really important scene in the movie? You know, one of the things I've always loved about uh, this series is, and it's kind of weird because it's it's a technical achievement on on one end, but um, just the unseen force that drives at everything that, you know, Sam Raimi sort of made that his signature in this series, but they just take it to a whole new level in this movie. I mean, the scene where it's chasing Bruce through the house and then in between the walls and then, Love that. I mean, doing that on a tiny budget is hard enough when you're just going straight through something but Mm -hmm. the gymnastics they had to do to get that shot done and that scene and just what it sets up for the rest of the movie is i mean it's 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 their crowning achievement in some ways in this film it's been copied very much through horror movies and not even just in comedy horror but just in straight horror where Bruce Campbell is not just running away from it. He's turning and he's spinning and he's flipping over furniture and he's choreographing this whole piece. Yeah, the, um, the physicality of that scene is just off the charts. I mean, it's it's amazing. And Kevin had sent me um, <laughs> very deep dive <laughs> of this, which I freaking adore because I've, nobody bugs me for a good hour. I'm literally scanning through this line by line because this is amazing. The, there's a piece of trivia in here that says that Bruce Campbell completely improvised the scene where he fights the possessed hand in the kitchen of the cabin and Sam Raimi used the first take. Yeah, that's that's insane what? to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> because that scene goes on for eons. It does. so much physicality in what he's doing. And I feel like, and maybe they do and I'm not noticing it. Bruce Campbell is an incredible physical comedian. Absolutely. And yes, he's, you know, he's rugged and it's, you know, he's got that incredible chin and he is a great horror actor, but I feel like there's so much that goes into, he's got this like Dick Van Dyke-ish side to him that we don't talk about enough. Do you feel like that definitely played into what he was capable of? Or is there some places where you wish things hadn't been done so egregiously? Okay, well, I mean, I'm a mark for anything Bruce Campbell, so I, I'm I will not speak ill of the man. Uh, but yeah, no, I <laughs> I'm think, not going to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think. I don't think Evil Dead Two would exist in its current form, or would have such a place in our hearts or our you know um, consciousness without that physicality. Um, and again, when you see it with the understanding of here's a man who's losing his mind and then this is how he reacts to it it's it's kind of incredible um but i mean his his ability to do this at least you know early in his career it 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 definitely set him apart from everyone else uh you know i don't know if it's true or not but there's a story that says that that's actually part of how he got his part for uh the adventures of briscoe county jr is that he walked into his um audition and grabbed the back of his shirt collar and flipped him, flipped himself over onto his back. And they were just so impressed by it that every time they did a callback, you know, with someone else, they wanted to show off his physicality. So he had to do it over and over again every time he had a callback. God. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> like talk about painting yourself into a corner, but uh, it, it's what made him unique is 
his comedic timing and the physicality that he could pour into it, especially in that age when people just weren't doing as much of that. So, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think I would have wanted much more of it, but I definitely wouldn't want it any less here in Evil Dead 2. Is there any scene that you didn't like or you feel didn't land or you're like, I really wish they'd have done that a different way? Hmm. I mean, there's a few weird technical quibbles, but I mean, you see those with, you know, low budget movies because they're just trying really hard to make it work. I feel like there's a few moments, maybe down on the cellar where things just, the tension's not where it should be. Like it's, they're going for it, but it's not quite where you want it to be. Or they just wait a beat too long on something um, Mm -hmm. for a reaction. And that's not there, especially with other members of the cast, but there's not like a whole, well, okay. Given that I know what Army of Darkness is, I will say the ending where he's in medieval Europe, wherever he is, yeah, doesn't quite work for me. Um, they definitely figured out what the story needed to be on the other end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, having someone who's half insane and um, basically an idiot wind up in medieval England, we'll say, and instantly becoming, you know, their hero, <laughs> king, whatever, is a bit much like... <laughs> He's gonna. He needs to work a little harder to get that. I think, but you know, <laughs> we, we fix. You know, they fix that in a in, in the next movie. So you know, and that's really my next question. How do you feel that the storyline continued in this series of movies? Do you think that there is a place where there could have been improvement, or do you really like where they are headed? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, th- th- this is an audio podcast, video, but... so so yeah, this is an audio podcast, so the. Listeners can't see the two Army of Darkness posters behind me. Uh, but... How do you feel about it, Kev? Did you like it? <laughs> like I said, I'm a mark. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a total sellout. Uh, no, I think uh, I think Army of Darkness is definitely more of a, a niche film. Um, it's not for everyone. And it is, like I said with this one, I don't think I would have wanted too much more of the absurdity. It, well, mm-hmm. Army of Darkness is, you know, just 90 minutes of more absurdity. I love it, but it's definitely not for everyone. I think the remake, which may or may not be in this continuity or reboot or whatever you want to call it is phenomenal. It's a totally different tone. It's a totally different film, but it definitely works in the universe. Uh, But the TV show Ash versus the evil dead was Mm -hmm. an absolute delight. Sure. It's got its flaws and it wasn't always great, but uh, when it was on, it was really, really, really on. Um, And so if, if any of the listeners have slept on that series, there are some great performances in it. Bruce, even older, still gives us everything he can. Yeah. Um, and then some of the other cameos or, or regular um, guests that come in later in the series are just amazing. So definitely check that out. And I feel like that really continues the story of, of who Ash is because we see him later in life. He's still working at a crappy store with basically no future because he's a total screw up and he's kind of an idiot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe but a little here, bit of here it is again, the thing that he is built to do the evils unleashed and he must fight them. And so he spends three seasons doing just that. And it's, yeah. it's, it's delightful. And I think how incredible to, and, and it doesn't really happen for a lot of actors, especially in this genre to have such a continuation of their character so many decades later yeah absolutely still completely being behind it and following along yeah i mean we were as as evil dead fans we were clamoring for more 
but I think all of us kind of knew it would never happen. Bruce is getting older. He's done other stuff. Sam Raimi is directing Spider-Man and, you know, like this is never (laughs) going to happen. This is a silly little moment in time. And we got, you know, three great movies, but it's over. And then all of a sudden this TV show comes out and it's like, Oh no, they actually pulled it off and kudos to everyone involved. Like, um, yeah, I, I think it was a great way to, really wrap up the character of Ash. And I know mm-hmm. they left it open. They can do more stuff, but I think this was a great, like just little coda, little nice way for Bruce to say goodbye to everyone and, and, you know, cap off the story. So. And I think that was one of the big things for both Sam Raimi and Bruce was just really honoring the fan base and having so many people not just enjoy what the movie was about and what the movies were about, but mm-hmm. really the whole universe of what they created on such a tight budget. They knew what story they wanted to make. Raimi was directing like no one was watching. Like he just really went for it. And so did Bruce. And I don't feel like we've seen that in a lot of other, I mean, we've seen that in some other genre movies where they're, they're very quintessential and we understand that, you know, what their universe is, especially something like Halloween that is incredibly expansive, but I don't, I don't feel that it is the same texture of the Evil Dead universe. And I think what's so cool about that is they really did honor the fans with the show by being still being true to Ash's character and then continuing. They didn't try to make him big and boisterous and something that he wasn't for modern time. He was still in the doldrums of what he was meant to do in life until he is asked to do something universal. Um, So that was cool. It was cool to see that. I always ask these questions. Okay. Um, For someone who has no idea, has never seen this movie, haven't seen the poster, has no idea who Bruce Campbell is, Sam Raimi, what have you. Can you explain the plot of this movie in three sentences? In three sentences. Um, I mean, they can be run-ons. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they will be. Uh, Yeah. So uh, a lovable, um, we'll just say stupid uh, young man takes his girlfriend to a cabin in the woods for a romantic getaway. They accidentally unleash a demonic force. She quickly dies. Uh, Some other people show up and Bruce loses his mind as he fights back this evil. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's. That's it in a nutshell, but there's so much more there, right? <laughs> there is <laughs> more to mine, but that really is like, it's a good little package. I like that. I mean, and it's got I, everything you want in a movie, just yeah. in the basic synopsis, but then you watch it and you realize how much more is there and it, right. it's, it's amazing. And this has been really, really fun because like I said, as, as a genre writer, it's so exciting to talk about these types of movies. And like I uh, explained it a, a couple of pods ago, I had a, podcast with my friend Chris we had done oh my gosh we had done Die Hard for our, our Christmas special yep. and I had said you know what is your personal allegory in your personal opinion what is the allegory what is this movie trying to say and, and he's like well I don't think there is one there's not all movies have one they're just sure. kind of what they are do you feel that this movie is trying to say anything or if it's just a movie for movie's sake I mean I think we could shoehorn something into it but I really feel like this was a bunch of friends having fun, you know, making a movie together, making the movie they wanted to see on screen. I, I, I don't know that Sam or Bruce would actually say that they were trying to say anything with it, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that there is, like I said, I could shoe, shoehorn something in. I could pontificate about mental health or something. 
and shoehorn it in. But I don't think the movie's trying to say that. I think the movie's just trying to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's so like, you know, and then literally like it literally shocked me out because, you know, I'm the overanalyzer, right? You sure. know, I'm, I'm always trying to dig into things. And I was just like, well, it's got to be like, and then the more we continue and the more I watch it and I'm just like, yeah, that was literally a movie for movie's sake. And I feel like knowing that has really changed my perspective on how I ingest a movie. Sure. Um, because we're, you know, as kids, you know, we're, we're, we've grown up on like fables and Aesop and all kinds of other stuff. And there always has to be a moral to the story about things. Absolutely. That's what we're taught. Um, well, and as and screenwriters, think, it's one of the first questions we're asked, right? Like why this story? Why now? Why you, why are you telling it? And sometimes it's, I just want to have fun. Right. And that's not the answer people want. And it's weird because right. we teach ourselves, we have to unlearn those processes to write the story. And then by the time we're, we're done with it, they ask us. <laughs> right. Yeah. But no, I think that, that that really was, you know, just a gang of people you gave it all they had. And to have, um, and uh, reading in this trivia piece too, also seeing that Stephen King was a huge supporter from oh, the yeah. beginning and through, you know, some money behind it. Or, and if he couldn't, he got people to be really interested in it, which is still so cool. Absolutely. Would probably like flipped them out to have like Stephen King give a shit. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I he was a very that. vocal supporter of the first Evil Dead. And I can't imagine making a movie with my friends in college and thinking this will be fun. We've got this little cabin and we threw together a, a script real quick and let's just go make this crazy demony movie. And then you get it out into the world. And Stephen King of all people is like, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen. I'd be like, uh, oh, wait, what did we just do? <laughs> exactly. Stephen King like, like the Stephen King. Or yeah. like Did, you King sure it's not like uh, a Stephen King? Maybe he works in an auto parts <laughs> Hoboken, shop somewhere in Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting is like having friends, you know, I have uh, friends in the industry that, you know, have had Raimi praise that are stuff. And oh, that's how amazing. that's got to feel. And just it, it's, you know, as we as screenwriters, as we work, we, we are always inspired by somebody being inspired by our work, especially if they're one of our heroes. Yeah. And I think that it's so cool to see their basis and like their one of their first forays because that this was not one of the first films that Raimi and Bruce had made together no um but to see their humble beginnings quote unquote um to what they're both doing now and how expansive this universe has been and what it's meant to people has been really really cool and the fact that the posters are behind you is just says that <laughs> you know it speaks to that which is great it's what we want out of you know as as creatives so Kevin, thank you so much for sharing that. I've been so anxious to talk about this. Yeah, this and was great. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, of course. And he's been so patient with me. I'm like, Kevin, I can't do it these 365 days. What are you doing? Fault of never. Um, so, but that's been cool to get together. But where can the folks find you, your work, the projects that you're working on? Where can they find you? Uh, I mean, I'm on Twitter all the time, making a mess of things uh, <laughs> at Captain Dooley. Um, if you wanted to read some of my work, uh, I've got a site up kbd.inc. Um, there's a few of my scripts on there and then, uh, you can ignore my copywriting portfolio. That's just for my nine to fiver, but yeah. Uh, so kbd.inc or kevinduley.com, whichever one's easier to hear in the recording. I go to the same place. <laughs> Again, folks, thank you so much for joining us, Kevin. Thank you so much for bringing some horror into my life today. And, my pleasure. Um, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, folks. We will see you next week.